Welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast hosted by nutritional coach Jessica Tai, where we are dedicated to promoting health and overall well-being through nutrition, specifically the ketogenic diet. We will provide you with all the latest science in nutrition, interviews with experts in the health and wellness field, and answer all your burning questions so you can find optimal health. This podcast is not intended to be used as medical advice and is to be used for informational purposes only. Please contact your doctor with any and all medical questions. Now here's Jessica. Hello, everybody. This is Jessica. Welcome to episode number 13, lucky number 13 of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. I'm so excited to be here with you tonight. And uh, yes, it is actually tonight because <laughs> I had some technical difficulties earlier in the week and I and the weekend, and I typically have this recorded ahead of time, but it uh, didn't happen. So that's um, I'm kind of pushing it to the last minute here, but we will hopefully not run into any more issues and I'll get this out before the end of the day today. It is Tuesday, October 3rd. But um, just wanted to quickly let you know what we're going to be talking about in this episode. I've got some fun topics, some juicy topics, we'll call this this episode. Lots of um, people ask about these things, and so I thought I would just kind of lump them into one um, episode today. We're going to talk about SIBO and how keto can help SIBO. We're going to talk about, if you don't know what that is, stay tuned, you're going to learn. Uh, we're going to talk about how keto can help with acne, um, with resolving acne issues, specifically for teenagers. I get a lot of questions about that which makes sense because teenagers struggle with that a lot. And we are also, I'm going to go over a listener email that I got in. Um, and I'm going to kind of dissect the email a little bit and just kind of give some practical tips. But it is just a, it's pretty indicative of of the emails that I get in. Um, so just going to kind of talk about that a little bit. I thought you guys might find it interesting just to kind of see what my take is. And the gentleman that sent it in said he would be happy for me to discuss it on the podcast, and I thought it would be a great way to go. So um, without further ado, let me introduce Derek. He's back with us tonight. Hi, Derek. Hey, how's it going, everybody? <laughs> so I'm glad that you're here, and we can do a little... I just like it so much better when you're here, and I can talk to you. Well, I think it's fun because uh, here it is Tuesday, and we get to catch up a little bit from the week. It's always kind of fun <laughs> to see what you thought was great with the week and what I thought was great with the week, and then uh, get on with your show. So... I guess the big news this week, everybody may have seen that on Instagram, is uh, is this little precious little thing we have in our life, the 10th <laughs> Thai family member. Yes, that's right. So yeah, let me make a real, could be a really long story short, but I know I've had a lot of people asking me like, what, how'd you get the kitten? You know, where'd he come from? What's happening? So um, we are a family of adoption around here and we seem to... Uh, attract that. And I think that um, it must just be meant to be the way we're going to build our family. But we were actually coming home from an event. Um, we have some friends, uh, the Munozes actually, and we were um, Anthony and Diane Munoz. And we were coming from their annual fundraising um, thank you event. It's like a dinner uh, where they invite um, people that they feel are instrumental to their um to their, uh, what am I trying to say? Their 
their mission here. They're part. We're basically partners. Yes, investors partners with into them their, and with the Munoz Foundation. And so they have friends and family out, and they do a dinner and treat everybody. It's a beautiful event. Um, they are just amazing people. Just amazing people. I can't say enough good things about them. We love them so much. But we, anyway, we went to that event and we're on our way home and I had to do the mom thing and stop by Kroger because I needed to pick up something the kids had called and said, you need to stop and get this. So here I am in my heels and dress and coming from this event, running, you know, into Kroger, grabbing this thing, no big deal. But on my way out, Derek was waiting in the car for me and he's on the phone talking to his sister in California. And um, he starts, you know, pointing over toward the building and it's dark out. And, um, and I look to where I'm like, what are you pointing at? And I look to where he's pointing at and I can see uh, what looks like some small little animal. And I immediately assume that it must be a little cat and go over to inspect further and realize that it is a cat, a very tiny little cat, um, just a little fur ball. And she looked obviously not in good health and she was scared to death. Um, as soon as I approached, she ran further. She was against the building of our local grocery store here where they stack like all the rows of carts outside. And so she kind of disappeared further under the cart. So of course I could not leave her like that. <laughs> of course. So I'm sitting in the car going, seriously, are we doing this right now? So I run back into, I mean, literally run back into Kroger, buy a little can of cat food and come back out. Um, and proceed to lure her out from under the carts. And she was scared to death, but her hunger was overruling her fear. So she eventually came out far enough that I could grab her. I knew I would have to grab her because she was not going to let me get her willingly. And she proceeded to bite me numerous times on the finger, which is extremely painful. And then I start thinking, oh my gosh, here's this feral cat that I just, it's biting me. And what am I going to be infected with? And, but I held on to her, um, secured her in my lap on the way home. And we took her home and I, uh, you know, put her, we had a, have a large, um, our dog is a poodle and he no longer needs a crate, but when he needed one, um, we bought like the largest, you know, big dog crate we could find. And so I put the little kitty in there with a litter box and some water and, and food and whatnot. And anyway, um, so to wrap up that story, she is still with us. We did try to find her home, which I didn't assume that she had a home, but I wanted to make sure just in case somebody was missing their kitty and nobody responded to any of the ads we put out there. And I took her to the vet yesterday and it is a girl and she's about 10 weeks old, roughly, um, very malnourished, but overall healthy and the vet has high hopes for her. So she's a cutie. Yay. <laughs> I know Derek's super excited because we also have another cat that we got two years ago much the same way. Um, he was even younger and was, um, we had issues with, uh, I mean, he had, you know, had to be fed and all kinds of stuff. He was real young and, but um, he's a great cat as well. And to be honest, I didn't want either of the cats either. I mean, I love animals. I love them. But with five kids and the lifestyle we have, we're just so busy it's just one more thing to take care of. But you know what? The kids are ecstatic about this little kitty. 
And especially our daughter, Gabby, she's like the animal. We call her the cat whisperer because she is just, these cats love her. And I don't understand why, because she's really not that kind to them. <laughs> well, if you want to see some cute cat pics, go to uh, Jesse's Instagram page and uh, that keto blonde, and you'll get to see all the cute cat kitty cuteness mm -hmm. that you want. There's too many there. Yeah, and I, I took a picture. I was holding her here as we were starting this podcast, and I'll uh, I'll get that picture out there too. My uh, my little podcast partner, Pepper, is her name. My my fourteen year old son named her Pepper, which I think is so cute. That's such it's very fitting. So so yeah, so that's the big excitement of this of this week for yes, me. Yes, one of the things. Yes. Yeah. So, so well, I know you got a bunch of listener questions this week, and uh, maybe we can start with one of those. Uh, you get a lot of questions that come in about uh, you know related. Um, oh, you actually have a product update we were supposed to go over first. Yes, I do. I'm so sorry. Before me... I get into the, th the yes. So, you need um, to hire a new co-host, I think. Yeah, right. Um, the budget is zero. You're free. So. <laughs> Thank you. That's the biggest compliment uh, I've ever No, I like having you here. I would pay you if I had the money. There's no budget for this podcast. <laughs> okay, so my, uh, my update I wanted to do. If you guys listen to my, I don't think it was the skin health issue or the skin health podcast. I think it was the one that I did on personal care products, I believe, but I, I really can't remember for sure. But if you've listened to the podcast in the past, um, I talked about in one of them, my sunscreen that I use my face on my face. I use sunscreen every day. I've talked about, um, my melasma, issue, which is you know, hyperpigmentation on your face. And so it is imperative for me, especially, I mean, I think probably everybody should use sunscreen on their face for anti-aging reasons. Um, but for me, it's imperative because if, if I get too much sun exposure, then those dark spots just really, um, become pronounced. So I'm always on the lookout for the best kind of sunscreen I can use. And I had told you guys, I think in the last, uh, or when I talked about this last time, was that I had one that I was using that I really loved, but it had come to my attention that it may have some endocrine disrupting um, chemicals in it, and that's not good. So I went on the look for a new one. I tried one, didn't work, my face broke out like crazy. And then I got the recommendation from uh, EWG, which is the Environmental Working Group's website. <clears throat> it's ewg.org if you'd like to check that out. But I got a recommendation from their site for this Bare Minerals um, Broad Spectrum SPF 50 um, called Prep Step. And I thought, okay, I'll try it. We'll see um, how it works. I am totally in love with this product. Um, first of all, my skin, zero breakouts, no issues with it whatsoever. Um, it is not oily or greasy. It's very soft. It goes on very evenly. I only need a little bit. Um, the bottle it came in when I got it, I was shocked. It was like, oh my gosh, this is literally like a quarter of the size of the one I was using. And it was about the same amount of money. So I was kind of like, oh gosh, I don't think this is going to work out, but you don't have to use much at all. It goes a really long way. And after you put it on your face, it's almost like a powdery finish. It feels, it's just so soft. So anyway, if you are looking for a good sunscreen, I 100% back this up. I've now been using it um, several weeks, at least probably a month now. Um, definitely long enough for me to know if there's going to be any adverse 
um, effects on my skin. So again, that's Bare Minerals Prep Step, P-R-E-P Step, and it's the Broad Spectrum SPF 50. It's a mineral shield daily prep lotion. So that's what it is. And I bought it on Amazon. So you can go to Amazon and get it if you're interested. Well, and I promised everybody a big update from last week. I just remembered. Oh, yeah. I forgot so about that big, A big announcement. So I'm the numbers guy. I'm the stats guy. I can't help myself. So, And I'm really proud of what Jesse's been able to do. I call her Jesse. So Jessica to everybody else, I guess. But I'm <laughs> really proud. Actually, I'm Jesse to everybody. I, really, only clients call me Jessica, I think. And I don't, I probably should just tell them to call me Jesse. <laughs> Nobody calls me Jessica. Uh, your dad always called you Jess. Yes. And I know. So, well, anyway, so the big announcement. So we were just shy of making this announcement last podcast. And I just wanted to say it and then I stopped myself. So I was really hoping by this episode, I would be able to announce a big milestone in your podcasting career. So in 90 days, since these podcasts have been going out. I can't believe with I've the 12 been doing episodes this 90 days. <laughs> already out. Uh, you, I was hoping that we could announce that you hit 10,000 downloads Which across the country. Which is huge. In 90 days, that blows my mind. Like, how, who wants to live? I can't even believe there's that many people. I'm thinking that annoying co-host guy, they would have been stopping at one. How about the girl something. that says, um, all the time and can't keep my thoughts well, You're doing straight. better now. I, every time I hit you, uh, like, here, <laughs> right. a little nudge over I'm here and there. I'm all bruised, but I'm not saying not um really. as often. Not really. It's just a nudge. It's just a nudge. Now, I don't have to do that anymore. So, but seriously, we uh, we actually surpassed the ten thousand, and you're Are you serious? you're now at eleven thousand five hundred downloads as of oh today. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! So I'm just really proud of you. And there's there's people from all over the world now that are starting wow. to all these English speaking countries. I'm really uh, pretty excited about the future, and you know some of the sponsors that have contacted you. I know we can't have everybody on here because you got to really believe in the product and you know you want to make sure people know it is a sponsor thing and not just a you know a, a regular mm -hmm. stuff we talk about so uh i'm excited for you and i'm, I'm excited about the future and well, thank I'm you for everyone out there for downloading yeah i'm it. just excited and just uh humbled by that and i just want to say thank you so much to everyone who has downloaded and listened to these episodes and I just really hope that I'm giving you some value in these podcasts. I mean, I do these, that's fun. I enjoy doing it. Um, but I really just look at it as a contribution to people. That's and, the same way you got to be in this life, you know, if you right. can contribute out there. And Jimmy Moore, uh, I just want to give him a shout out. So we're actually, we finally figured out our new microphone setup. So we alluded last week that we might be getting a new setup here. So we have this new Yeti podcasting microphone setup that we can both share. So instead yes. of us passing back and forth this little cheap USB mic or messing with all this professional soundboards and equipment that I couldn't figure out. I'm not that good. <laughs> so hopefully you guys like the sound quality. And I would love to hear uh, in feedback and comments if there's something that you guys want us to do different or change. Uh, and technically speaking, you know, I think we got it figured out now so that uh, Jesse can just hit her record button and we can have fun and just enjoy the content versus worrying about the process. I think that's more important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, all right. Well, thank you. And again, thank you everybody for tuning in and listening to these podcasts. And I hope that you can continue to get benefit out of this. And I can't um, personally coach everybody, um, certainly not 11,000 people, but I can give you some information that I hope is useful to you through this podcast. And that is the way I can reach the most amount of people. So that's awesome. 
Well, we're uh, going to go ahead and get some listener questions today. And I know you get a lot of questions about gut health. And specifically, you mentioned SIBO earlier. I have no idea what you're talking about. So can you tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. that? Okay, so let's talk about SIBO. Let's just define it quickly and um, talk about what it actually is. So it's an acronym. SIBO is S-I-B-O, and it stands for Small Intestinal Bacterial Overgrowth. So typically, your um, stomach will um, empty the contents after your um, hydrochloric acid has worked on the food, whatever you've eaten. Your stomach will then empty the contents into your small intestines. And there's not a ton of bacteria in your intestines. There's, there are bacteria. Um, but in comparison with your large intestine, um, there's not as much. So it goes from your small intestine and then into your large intestine where the majority of the breakdown happens. But when it's in your small intestine, you are um, absorbing all of the nutrients from the food that you ate, or in that's what you're supposed to be doing. So in the case of SIBO, you have an overabundance of bacterial growth in there. And so what happens is the bacteria that is in your small intestine actually begins um, consuming those nutrients. So um, it causes all kinds of issues when that happens um, because the, first of all, you can become malnourished um, and have malnutrition because your body is no longer able to absorb those nutrients that you're actually taking in through your food. So that can be a side effect before you even realize that you have any issue. You can also end up with problems like um, flatulence, you know, bloating, um, belching, so just kind of gas uh, symptoms, and that is largely due to the bacteria consuming all of your nutrients, and then that is the byproduct of that happening. Um, You can also have abdominal pain and cramps and diarrhea or constipation, um, either one of those. So those are kind of the main symptoms of it, and if you're listening, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, well, I mean, aren't those like I mean, a lot of people have all of those things going on and it doesn't necessarily mean you have SIBO. And that's true. Um, Those pretty much all of those symptoms can be indicative of pretty much any um, gut issue, really. And actually, quite often, one gut um, issue or dysbiosis is accompanied by other gut issues. So you could have um, SIBO and quite commonly may also have um, celiac, maybe celiac or may have um, leaky gut is very common to come along with a lot of these different bacterial overgrowths like candida or H. pylori um, because those, because if those are let go long enough, then it starts um having an influence on your gut lining and the way that your gut um, holds together and keeps um, particles of food and things that shouldn't be getting out into your bloodstream. Um, It affects how those things work together and how it holds together. So so it can cause all kinds of issues. And when you get into the more um, prominent issues like that, and maybe you've got numerous things happening, or if you have gotten into leaky gut, you can start a cascade of other autoimmune issues. Um, joint pain comes along with that, fatigue, um, autoimmune skin conditions like eczema, psoriasis, um, rosacea is huge with leaky gut. So if you have rosacea, um, 99% of the time you have leaky gut. It is a um, side effect of leaky gut. So all all of those things can can be brought on by having these things happen. So 
um, SIBO is pretty serious. And so it's an overgrowth of bacteria and often it comes from the colon, um, from some of the bacteria in the colon backing up and being allowed into the small intestine um, due to some issues that are, that are happening with the way you're eating or what you're eating um, or stress related things. Um, or it could even be, like I said, another gut related issue that then manifested into SIBO as well, like IBS <clears throat> is often associated. So you could have irritable bowel and then that lends itself to SIBO fairly easily. Um, celiac disease is another one that lends itself to SIBO fairly easily um, because oftentimes, especially before you realize that you have a gluten intolerance or gluten insensitivity or you are flat out allergic to it, as in the case of celiac, it can cause these other cascade of issues before you even realize. So you may be continually um, kind of hitting your gut with these things that are doing damage and you don't even realize it. Um, but so all of these gut issues are becoming more and more prevalent these days. I mean, we see a ton of this, a um, lot of complaints from, from clients and people that I work with, with digestive issues. I mean, it's the number one thing that we deal with. And, um, it also leads to all of these other things, like I said, um, including weight gain, which is another big one um, that people notice as a major issue. So it can lead to all of these other things, um, depression and feeling bad. So often you have all these other things that are going on and then you don't realize it's SIBO <clears throat> that's causing these until some of the more pronounced gut issues start to become apparent. So there are tests that you can do to um, find out if you have SIBO, and it's a pretty straightforward, um, uh, pretty pretty easy test to get. You can go um, there. The best one that you can do is a, a three hour like breath test that you can go. You can do it in your home, and you literally just do the test at home, and then you essentially just mail the lab results in, and then they contact you and let you know if you have SIBO or not. So that's probably the best, easiest, least expensive way to figure it out. And if you um, have some of these issues, <clears throat> I would suggest that you do that. Um, okay, so then um, once you figure out if you have SIBO, then you're going to decide what your next course of action is. So if you're working with a standard medical practitioner, um, you know, a medical doctor, an MD, they're probably going to put you on um, a round or two of antibiotics. That's the most common treatment, and antibiotics will often knock SIBO out. The unfortunate part of using antibiotics is, um, number one, it's another insult to your gut. Um, we know that part of the problem that we are getting these digestive issues is um, the, the gut uh, bacteria, the microbiome being so, um, just having that dysbiosis, that, that inequality of the bad bacteria to good bacteria. So we know that that's already an issue. And unfortunately, antibiotics lend to that problem. Um, they're anti-life, so they're antibiotic. And unfortunately, they don't just knock out the bad stuff, they also knock out the good stuff. And um, as it seems to be, the bad stuff then seems to have an easier time of taking back over. Um, so that, so the, while that will more than likely get rid of the SIBO, there is a super high rate of reoccurrence if you only treat through antibiotics. Um, so if you choose to treat through antibiotics, um, I would also suggest that you do some other uh, treatments along with it. Um, probably the biggest one that I would suggest that you do is just diet related. Um, it's a pretty intense, you know, controlled diet for about two to four weeks. So once you see um, some significant 
improvement in the SIBO and your your um, symptoms, then you can typically start kind of adding a few things back in. But if the longer you can do it, the better because it just allows your gut more time to heal and to um, get back into the uh, the way it needs to be in the best balance and allows that good bacteria to to be in there and for the everything to get where it should be. It helps your gut lining to heal, which is super important. Um, for being able to do that. So, um, one of the things that you want to do is, uh, to start with is eat smaller portions of food. So the, when you overeat, it takes your body a long time to digest the food and it tends to sit in your stomach that can make SIBO worse. Um, so you want, cause what happens is it sits in your stomach and it ferments. And so by the time it gets to your small intestine, it's already got all this, um, fermentation, this bad bacteria growing on it that shouldn't have been there because your stomach acid should have taken care of that and it should have digested it quickly and then sent it on into your small intestine. And, and that brings up another point actually, that is, um, not unusual to see along with SIBO is if you have a, a hydrogen hydrochloric acid issue. Um, typically, typically, like 99% of the time, um, anybody that is suffer suffering from um, GERD, acid reflux, heartburn, those symptoms, you actually have a low stomach acid issue. However, if you go to a doctor, one of the number one most prescribed drugs in this country is a PPI. So those are your acid blockers like Zantac and Prep Preposid, is that what it is, Preposid? Um, those types of, um, of acid blockers. And the problem is, the reason you're having the symptoms that you're having is because you don't have enough hydrochloric acid in your stomach. Um, as you get older from 20 years of age and up your hydrochloric acid production drops off significantly. So the older that you are, the less you have naturally anyway. And so I feel it's very important to supplement with digestive enzymes and hydrochloric um, acid or betaine HCL, um, to help with your digestion. As you get older, it becomes more and more important. But if you already have low stomach acid and your MD puts you on a PPI, it is blocking the little bit of stomach acid that you have. And it may result in some temporary relief of the heartburn and things like that, because there are mechanisms at work that will keep that from, you know, will keep that from being able to come up and, um, and, and be able to affect you. So you think, oh, this is great. I had high stomach acid and it's working, but it causes a whole cascade of other issues um, that I can talk about in another podcast. But uh, I, all I wanted to mention about that is that part of the problem with SIBO is um, one of the reasons that you can get SIBO and that can happen is the, is the, the part where your stomach is not digesting the food properly because it doesn't have enough hydrochloric acid. So it is allowing bacteria to grow and allowing that food to sit and ferment in your stomach before it hits your small intestine. So, um, that's a major issue. So, um, with the overeating, like I said, you want to eat smaller portions throughout the day and that keeps, um, you being able to digest it better, um, and quicker and be able to get it through your system faster. And like I said, I would highly recommend that you also include digestive enzymes with that. If you go back and listen to my, um, podcast, I did a couple of podcasts ago on supplementation. I give a couple of great digestive enzyme, um, options that I like to use and that I will recommend to clients as well as a betaine HCL, um, capsules that I 
highly recommend. If you have any issues with um, these kind of gut problems, I would start with those two things, enzymes and betaine HCL. Okay, so if you do find out that um, you have SIBO and so you're gonna start with smaller meals and more frequent meals instead of um, eating larger meals throughout the day. Now that is not typically how I would recommend clients in general to eat or people in general to eat. Um, having these small meals throughout the day is um, not beneficial to health, but in the case of a digestive issue like this, where you are trying to get this bacteria overgrowth under control, it is definitely the way to go. Um, one of the things that I will recommend that someone do then is a FODMAP diet, um, where you are going to avoid the FODMAPs. So um, some of you may have heard of that acronym before, some of you maybe not, and you're not really sure what that means. Um, if you ask around, you're probably going to hear that. You'll probably hear somebody talk about it. So FODMAPs is actually another acronym. Acronym. It's F-O-D-M-A-P, and that stands for fermentable, and that means they're broken down. They're fermented by the bacteria in your large um, intestine, in your bowel. Um, oligosaccharides, which is oligo means few, and saccharide means sugar. So these are molecules that are made up of different individual sugars that are joined together in a chain. Disaccharides, which mean, di means two, and that's a double sugar molecule. And then monosaccharides, mono means single, and that's a single sugar molecule. And then the final, um, uh, acronym letter in the acronym there is a and p and that's and polyols so polyols are sugar alcohols um and that's what that stands for so as you can see a lot of sugar um in there and that is generally what they are they're short chain sugars or short chain carbohydrates rather and so if those aren't digested properly they ferment um in your gut in your bowels and um that produces a lot of these issues like IBS um, issues and um, things like that. So if you have IBS, if you have SIBO, if you have any of these bacterial infections um, or these uh, dysbiosis, going with a low FODMAP diet is a super good way to help to combat some of the issues that you might be having that come along with those. There's also diets you can get you can go on like a GAPS diet um, or um, a SCD diet. Um, that's a specific carbo carbohydrate diet. Um, so there are different different things that you can go like that you can do like that, um, and then working with somebody that can help kind of work you through those diets and like what that would entail are super important so that you have somebody that can just work with you about making sure that you're eating the right things, how long it's going to take for you to heal the gut, get rid of those bacteria um, issues, and then be able to move forward. Um, you can't just uh, wing it and hope that you get rid of it. I and mean, these are pretty serious um, dysbiosis in your gut and you really need to work with um, getting those healed before you kind of move on. Um, and one thing that I highly recommend um, when working with somebody that has SIBO um, or any kind of gut issue like this that needs healed is bone broth. Um, I teach people how to make the bone broth. It's super easy, but I do believe in making it at home. You know exactly what goes into it. Um, you're getting all the beneficial um, nutrients and vitamins, minerals um, that are in there. And the gelatin, the collagen is so important in that bone broth and that is so gut healing. 
So highly recommend um, supplementing with bone broth. I typically um, ask clients to do one to two cups at least of homemade bone broth per day. And you can add that into food if you would like, um, if you're making a gravy or something, um, or if you want to saute vegetables in it. But I will just put it, I mean, I drink it every day just for gut health for myself anyway. And um, I just heat up about a cup of it and sip on it like you would tea or coffee. Um, and see, and in, and then in addition, I would definitely recommend a good probiotic um, to help restore that good gut flora. And you can start that, especially if you are put on antibiotics. I would start the probiotic with your antibiotics. Um, that'll kind of give those good bacteria fighting chance to um, be able to kind of help you combat this. So I think that's probably all I need to say about SIBO and why um, the, well, I guess I didn't really answer why the keto diet helps with SIBO. So um, so these, a lot of these um, things that I'm telling you about, like the FODMAP diet and um, this specific carbohydrate diet and the GAPS diet and all of these um, things that you would do to be able to help um, with the IBS or with SIBO or any of those things, um, they're going to be avoiding a lot of the things that that we would be avoiding, that you're avoiding anyway in the ketogenic diet. So you're going to avoid gluten. You're definitely going to want to stay away from grains and carbohydrates. That feeds that bad bacteria. Um, that's what they love to feed on. So the more of that stuff you're eating, the harder it's going to be to get those um, gone. So you really want to watch with that. Um, most people are going to want to avoid like whey proteins, um, at least for, for quite a bit of time. Um, gut bacteria also love those. Um, we'll feed on that gluten especially. Um, so yeah, avoiding those types of things. And the good, the, the good thing, another great thing about the ketogenic diet for this is it really helps, um, you know, it's high in saturated fats and healthy fats. Um, coconut oil is huge for healing gut issues. So just that diet in general is good in those, uh, is high in those healing properties and those healing foods. So those are great things that you want to be eating. Um, and those animal products that are, um, the good sourced animal products, like your free range eggs, your grass fed beef and lamb, wild caught fish, free range chicken, turkey. Um, those are the things you want to be eating anyway. <clears throat> and then sprouting your nuts and seeds. If you're going to have nuts and seeds, um, having those sprouted makes them much easier to digest and, um, will also help with that. Okay. So I guess that's about all we have for this SIBO question. All right. Well, that's a lot about the SIBO. I did not know what that was before, and hopefully that really helps some people out. Okay, so our next uh, questions, we're going to combine into one. Uh, there's been a couple uh, different emails about this topic. One was son, one's daughter, but we've got some teenagers that are struggling with terrible teenage acne. Can keto or any diet help that? Uh, this one parent said, we need to do something now, Jessica. What can we do for them? This is another um, super common question that we see a lot and um, is definitely experienced, I think, by pretty much everybody in one way or another. Either you experienced it as a kid or you have children that are now going through it, um, some more severe than others, but um, definitely 
super common. So there's many reasons that teenagers get increased acne and other breakouts on their skin. There are just so many factors that contribute to skin issues. And unfortunately for teenagers, many of those factors are kind of coming all at them during these years. Um, so it just kind of it's just kind of this bad intersection of time for their skin. Um, the absolute biggest factor for teens is hormone production. Um, that definitely plays a huge role in acne. And if, you know, a lot of women, we, um, well, I should say we, I don't anymore, but um, thanks to the keto diet, but I did, I used to definitely see an increase in breakouts around that time of month. And again, the reason why is it's hormonal driven. Um, and then it, depending on, you know, what your diet looks like, what your lifestyle looks like, that can add to the hormone fluctuations and add to the hormones that you don't want to have um, being pumped up basically, um, which are your androgen hormones. So, um, DHEA and, and testosterone, um, those will get, um, will get bumped up during, during that time of month for women. Um, and especially depending on what you're eating and then for for teenagers, um, their hormones, unfortunately there's not, um, you know, there's just not a lot of regulation in them naturally. So their hormone production is just, um, really playing havoc on a lot of the face issues, um, skin issues and skin disorders that they're having. So first of all, hormone production, your androgens, like I said, it's testosterone for, for boys and DHEA that then converts to estrogen for girls. Those are um, definitely up uh, during puberty. There's nothing you can do about that. That's just part of the human condition. <laughs> so um, high production of these hormones cause excess oil to be produced by the skin, which can, of course, set off acne flare-ups and your skin becomes clogged and with dirt and oil and dead skin cells. And then you have this whole cascade of issues. Um, so this makes washing your face with a proper non-irritating skin cleanser super important. So I talked about this in my skincare um, episode that, um, washing your face with a good cleanser and I, you don't want to use anything that is super drying. And I know the the tendency is to use something super drying because if your oil production is up and then your, um, you know, your skin is oily and, and that's leading to these breakouts, but that isn't entirely true. It is, it does add to the issue, but you need the skin to have, you don't want to take away that oil production because then that leads to further irritation and you can lead to a whole different type of acne and different breakouts and different skin irritation. So you kind of just have to work with it. So you want to keep your face clean, but not severely dry. Um, so washing with a good um, cleanser, something pretty mild. And I did talk about that. I did recommend one in that podcast that I use and I had my, my teenagers switch to, and it has made a big improvement, um, in their skin is just the skincare that they're using. Um, so I will link to that again in the show notes of this podcast, but I do use the peaches, um, classic cleanser. And again, I use that for my kids. So you want something that doesn't have chemicals in it, isn't super drying, and then it is super important to use a pH toner because you really need the pH to be conducive to the right bacteria on your skin. So you have a microbiome on your skin and there are you have millions of little bacteria that are there and they live in the symbiotic relationship. You need them to be balanced on your skin to keep your skin from breaking out with the, and the bad bacteria taking over. But when we strip our face of 
that all of all the bacteria, unfortunately, just like we were talking about in our gut, the bad bacteria tends to take over quicker and then causes us issues. So um, your skin pH is about a 5.5. So you, your slightly, your skin is slightly acidic. So you want, you want that slight acidity to stay on your skin. So, um, another way that you can do a, um, if you're, if you're not using a, uh, a pH, like I had recommended a pH toner that again, I get from peaches and I can link that in the show notes as well, but I had recommended that in the skincare, um, uh, episode. So, um, your, so you want that, um, acidic level to kind of stay on your skin. So you can also use, if you don't use that, you can go with apple cider vinegar. So you can literally dilute a little bit of apple cider vinegar, and you could also use this as a face wash. It's highly effective. You could uh, dilute a little bit of apple cider vinegar in water, and then put that on like a, a cleansing pad or a washcloth, and then just kind of wipe that all over your face. Now, apple cider vinegar will, um, uh, will kind of help to it's a the acid will kind of bring your your face um back to the correct ph to the to the alkaline level that it needs to be at and the the acid alkaline level at about 5.5 to keep your your pores clean and the production of oil um proper and that kind of helps with the uh, microbiome balance that those bacteria need in order to stay properly balanced so another factor that will cause hormone reactions and make the hormone reactions that we're having worse. And I remember as a teenager, you can't stop those things from happening because you're just developing, you're going through puberty. That's just what it's going to happen. So all we can do is try to mitigate the issues and try to um, do things that will help to balance those out. So another big factor is the food that we eat. So this is a, where keto can play a big role and why this way of leading this lifestyle can be so beneficial um, on so many levels. So the top food offenders when it comes to causing negative hormone reactions uh, in your body and anybody, but specifically teenagers, since they are already in this delicate balance, are dairy, sugar, and grains. So um, let's take a look at these like on a more specific level and talk about why. So dairy, specifically milk, is very high in sugar. So that's milk, sugar is lactose. Sugar raises blood glucose and therefore the hormone insulin is raised. So anytime we have higher insulin levels, that causes more male hormone production, which will also increase sebum or oil production, which we just talked about. Um, that is just what happens. Um, so then insulin also causes skin cells to multiply. And this overproduction can cause many of the skin issues, including the shedding of skin, because now we've got this overproduction of skin cells and they're, they're multiplying too quickly. And so we have a over shedding of the skin and that clogs pores. Um, so that can lead to basically just the old cells are trying to push the new ones out of the way and it gets everything clogged up and it's a mess. This is also why people on high sugar diets, um, if you ever pay attention or like for myself, I know as a sugar burner, as a, as a, a carb burner, when I was eating kind of your typical standard American diet of, um, high carbs and lots of sugar my skin was just dull. I just had dull skin. And that is, um, has a lot to do with the overproduction of the skin cells with your insulin level being high. So your skin just looks dull and lifeless. 
Um, also in general, dairy can just be a trigger food for many people, specifically because of the way our commercial dairy products are processed today. So, um, you know, dairy, we were just talking about SIBO and gut issues. And, you know, I, I am not, um, a dairy proponent or, or an opponent. Like I think it's, everybody has, you know, their own, um, their own, their own set of rules, so to speak, that they can live by, uh, with nutrition and health within certain parameters. Um, there are certain things that I think just are not good for anyone for lots of reasons, but dairy is one of those that I've seen people that can tolerate it just fine. And I've seen people that can't tolerate it at all, but I think pretty much the, um, any dairy that you're going to buy in the store, not good for anybody. It's homogenized, it's pasteurized, they add sugar, they add all kinds of stuff to it. They have to refortify it with vitamins because all of the vitamins and nutrients have been completely cooked out of the milk. If you're gonna drink milk, I highly recommend raw milk. Um, we drink raw milk as a family. I belong to a herd share and we get our milk that way. They are, um, the cows are treated completely different. They are grass fed cows. They're not grain fed, which is another huge issue with milk and it completely changes the composition of the cow's milk. Um, they're not put on any antibiotics or hormones or, and even if you buy milk that says they don't contain this specific growth factor or this hormone, I promise you that there are ways that they get around all of that stuff. And there is no way that those cows can have the production levels that they have without getting, uh, without having, you know, um, the infections in their udders and those have to be clean, cleared out because they, you know, they, they can't have all the milk infected and, um, all of these issues. And whenever you hear about a breakout of some kind of bacteria and some milk being recalled or somebody getting sick from milk, it is never raw milk. It is always homogenized, pasteurized. You think how in the world can I be susceptible to any kind of bacteria? Cause they've just cook this thing to death, but you can. So, um, I would definitely avoid that. And it is, I know for a lot of kids, especially they love to drink milk. Um, you know, my family growing up, we were not the family that had milk at the dinner table, but I know lots of people do. My husband's family was one that would have a glass of milk with dinner every night. And, um, it's, I mean, it's just the way it was done. And so a lot of teenagers, I think today, and a lot of parents, we think that we're doing the right things for our kids because we think, well, they need the calcium, right? They need the vitamin D. But those milk products are so devoid of the vitamins and minerals that they need to be able to absorb, um, that their body can absorb, that it is completely futile to buy those products off your grocery store shelf and think that you're fortifying your kids with calcium and vitamin D. You're not. They cannot absorb most of the forms of what's in that. And if you don't have an absorbable form of vitamin D, you cannot absorb calcium. You have to have the two of them together, which is why all these animal products are so great because, you know, God gave us these animals and the products that these animals create, that they produce, their meat, their eggs, their milk, that's in perfect, they're, they're in just perfect alignment, everything, the calcium in the milk and the vitamin D and the vitamin A and everything just works beautifully together. And, um, the growth factors for, you know, it's made for baby cows, but you know, Hey, <laughs> if you want to drink the milk, that's fine. But, um, you know, but everything is made to grow 
a baby and it's made perfectly for that purpose. Um, but when we take it and treat it and, um, process it, we take all of that away from it. And when we try to eat these things disconnected from the natural sources and the way that we would be getting it, that's when we start having problems like these commercial feedlot animals and feeding cows grains that cows would never eat unless they were still attached to the wheat and, and then they would not be processed. And, you know, there's all these issues that we, we end up running across. So, um, so milk is completely unnecessary and will do more damage than good, especially for teenagers in this case. Um, Milk can also be a trigger, a trigger food because as we age, the enzyme that we have to digest the lactose, which is called lactase, um, it depletes or even completely disappears. So um, a lot of times you'll have people that maybe as young as younger kids or even teenagers could tolerate milk. And then you'll hear them as they get older, they start realizing that if they eat ice cream or milk or cheese, not as much cheese, um, cheese can typically be tolerated pretty well, but definitely milk because of the high lactose um, content and um, and ice cream, obviously, because of the high lactose content, they, um, they'll get, you know, sick to their stomach and they have gas and bloating and all of those types of thing. And that is because their lactase has, um, come down so much or completely is completely gone and they no longer have the ability to properly digest that food. Um, so another problem that you could have with milk is just having, if you're allergic to the milk protein, which is casein and a lot of people are casein and a lot of people do have <clears throat> that issue as well. And they, they either don't realize it or, um, or they do realize it and they're having issues, but it could be manifesting with gut issues, um, which can also lead to breakouts and skin acne. Um, like we just talked about when we were talking about SIBO, um, that is actually a side effect of SIBO could be skin breakouts and acne. So not that that's what your teenager has, but all of these things can lead to that. Um, and then if you're allergic to casein, uh, you could, like I said, it could cause like an autoimmune reaction, which, um, could be rosacea or eczema, acne, those types of things, especially cystic acne. Um, if you have a teenager with cystic acne, like the kind that either, um, forms a, a large bump under the skin that they can't get to come out, it just will sit under there and fester or a large bump under the skin that turns red and gets like a postulous, uh, top to it, that can almost certainly have ish, have something to do with dairy. Um, that is a very common thing to have happen with um, dairy. It's kind of an onslaught of issues. So you've got the the hormonal issues and then you, you're eating the dairy, which may not be sitting right with them. And on top of that, the lactose is raising blood sugar levels, which is then releasing an insulin production. And then the insulin is further assaulting the sebum production. So then you've got an uptake of sebum again and then now you've got increased cell production for skin, your skin cells. And so it's just like this, it's like one compounding thing on top of the next. Um, so let's just put this into perspective. About 30 to 40% of the world's population produces lactase into adulthood. So just to give you an idea, okay? So only about 30 to 40% of the adult population in the world still produces lactase. So in that, like I said, you have to have in order to digest lactose and milk. So 
gives you a little bit of an idea of how it's not just like a, well, most people can do it. No, actually most people can't (laughs) quite a large amount of people like two thirds of the world's population cannot produce lactase. Um, Okay, so uh, what can you do? A lot of people, well, a lot of people talk about, well, there's all these traditional people groups that have, that live on milk and have these animal products. Well, that's true. But typically those traditional people groups ferment milk because they wouldn't have had, even us as hunter gatherers, you know, our history um, of just hunter gatherers, we didn't have anywhere to store milk. So if we would have been drinking milk, we would have had to find a way to preserve that milk. So fermentation is um, really the most popular way that people will um, consume milk. And the fermentation that breaks down and pre-digests the lactose and the casein. So it makes it easier for us to digest. And then it doesn't create this immune response or this insulin trigger um, when we eat it. So think of yogurt or kefir, um, sour cream, those types of things. Those are fermented milk products. In addition, um, to raw milk, which I said is doesn't present as many issues as some of these um, other uh, the processed milk will, but in addition, you can get raw milk cheese and that's pretty well tolerated, um, because it has with the raw products and raw milk and raw cheese, there's just a complement of enzymes that make it much easier for us to digest than the pasteurized milk that all of those enzymes have been removed and killed off. So we no longer can, um, we just can't, we can't assimilate those to our body. It just, it's just too much. Um, also, okay. So then that brings us to sugar and grain. So I said milk is a dairy is a huge one, specifically milk and then sugar and grain. So they're really one in the same because they both have the same effect in your body's response and that they trigger the same overproduction of hormones. So, um, in addition to causing the high insulin levels, grains can contain other highly aggravating substances like gluten. So while not everyone has a gluten intolerance, I understand that or not everyone is sensitive to gluten or has celiac. Gluten is rarely tolerated well by anyone. That's, it just is what it is. Um, a lot of people don't specifically have a, I mean, I even did a, I did blood tests um, to test that on myself and I showed no sensitivity to gluten. I was producing no, um, you know, no response to that, no reaction at all. But I know that I don't feel great when I consume gluten. I mean, I can tell a difference um, in in my body and in the things that happen. And a lot of people are so used to having the side effects that gluten can, again, it's all the same things that we talked about. You could be gl- bloating, it could be um, gas, it could be um, uh, uh, fatigue, brain fog, Um, skin breakouts. It could be all these things that you don't necessarily put together with eating gluten. And a lot of people just don't, they've not put together how nutrition severely impacts your life. Like our bodies are not one system by, you know, one system and then this other system works independently and this other system works independently and they are all connected. Like every system in our body works together. And so when one's affected, it affects all the other ones. Um, so that's uh, often people just are not realizing that. Okay. So 
how can I claim that gluten affects everybody? I mean, how can I, because clearly, like I just told you, I had a blood test done. I had zero reactivity on that blood test to gluten. So um, how can I make a claim like that when I even saw it on myself that I don't have an issue? Well, it has been um, proven that 100% of us secrete zonulin when we eat gluten. So zonulin is a tiny little molecule that opens the spaces between the cells of our intestinal lining. So why is that a problem? Back to leaky gut again. So what happens, that's a normal occurrence when we're letting nutrients and other molecules out of the intestine. But what happens when, this, the, when, when we secrete zonulin, that molecule opens the spaces too big and too large. So then we have large protein molecules that, come, that get out and they cause an immunologic response. Um, some of us have a bigger response than others and we notice that right away, but um, some of us don't have as big a response, or some of us have not, you know, some of us are just, we're just made different. Everybody is biologically, physiologically, we just are, everybody's wired just slightly different. So you may not have, you may be able to do that for years and not have um, a significant response for a long time, but your body will eventually build up antibodies to that and you will eventually end up with a response. But for some people, that is just a shorter period of time it takes for that to happen. So um, this can also happen when there's an overgrowth of bacteria in our small intestine, like SIBO, which we just talked about. So like SIBO, candida, parasites, gluten, they all can cause this leaky gut and cascade of issues. Um, and so that can easily lead to acne and other skin issues. Okay, so you might be thinking, okay, what if we just can't avoid these things? Like, can I just take a medication? Because we all know, and I am, I know as well, with two teenagers of my own, trying to get teenagers to do any of the things that I just mentioned are about impossible, right? So I just told you they can't have ice cream, they can't eat pizza, and they, um, you know, they can't have milk with their breakfast. Like, what teenager are you gonna be able to get to follow those rules, right? Um, well, so <laughs> I've been down that road and it's been hard even for myself. I didn't have, um, you know, I didn't have a severe acne when I was a teenager, but I did like most have breakouts and it, it is embarrassing. And you, you know, you, as a girl, you can put makeup on and try to cover those things up. But as a guy, especially there's really not much you can do. So it can be really, really depressing and devastating to a teenage boy, especially this time of their life. They've got all these things going on and, and it's a tough time anyway. And then to have something like, so it's just, it's a tough place to be. It just really affects the self-esteem. And so, you know, I've been down the road of everything from proactive to creams, gels, lotions, potions, lasers, Retin-A. I did all of it. Um, as an adult, um, I didn't realize at the time what was causing the skin issues, didn't um, put two and two together with my diet and realizing that, um, that my diet and lifestyle was causing so many of these things. But um, as an adult, I would do, you know, the Retin-A, the laser. Um, I did lasers, a lot of that from the melasma as well, which um, also coincidentally has gotten much better and is lightening. I swear every day it's better. Um, but I also did a final straw of going on antibiotics for 
breakouts. Um, I was on doxycycline and um, Tetris, I think it's tetracycline, tetracycline, something like that. Um, so anyway, taking antibiotics, like when I think about that now, like the damage I caused my gut just so I wouldn't have breakouts. And if I had just changed what I was eating, I could have avoided that. And so I finally figured it out. And that is why, you know, a big part of why I'm doing what I do now is I, I just, um, I just want to save as many people from so many of the frustrations and the health issues and the, um, struggles that, that we all, you know, seem to come across and we're all dealing with like so many of them are avoidable and we can do things about them. Um, so anyway, with all of those, uh, solutions, so to speak, that, um, doctors and dermatologists would recommend to me. Um, I mean, dermatologists had me on the antibiotics, uh, they, they would work for a while, but then I would end up just frustrated and just having spent so much money. And then I would just end up back where I started. It just didn't do anything. So, um, and one of the most damaging treatments that I think are out there and it's pretty, it's pretty popular. And I think a lot of, of moms are starting to, um, feel like maybe they have to go this route is even these, uh, medications like Accutane. So, um, Accutane actually isn't even made anymore. Um, it was, that's a brand name of, um, oh, I think it's ISO, ISO tretinone maybe or tretinoin. Um, but that was, um, Accutane is a brand name. So I will, um, use that one just because that is how most people even still talk about it. Um, if they say, oh, I'm thinking about doing this, they still will refer to it as Accutane. So um, that was pulled from the market in 2009. Um, but there's not even, they don't even know exactly how or why the drug works so well. Um, but they know that it does change skin cells so that some of the oil glands change production. Um, and it has also been shown to reduce inflammation, which just makes your pores less hospitable to the bacteria. Um, of course, that's depending on the individual, how high of a dose they're on and, and how often and those types of things. Um, unfortunately, what we don't know is there are many side effects to the drug. We don't know how to, uh, how to know what side effects it's going to cause in somebody or what it's going to do, but it most certainly does damage to your gut because, um, and one of the more common side effects that can happen is depression. I've heard it called the suicide drug because, um, it can cause severe depression. And listen, if you have a teenager that has, you know, horrible, uh, skin acne and they're depressed and stressed out about that, I understand you're thinking, you know, well, gosh, I mean, what the lesser of the two evils, right? Like, let's just pick one here. Um, but we know that it has, um, severe uh, gut implications just because of the gut brain axis and how, uh, tied to your, to your brain health and your emotional health, your gut is. And so, um, we know that it is doing some kind of damage to your gut, that it is causing that as a side effect of these depressions. Um, it's also been linked to IBS, um, so I would assume if it's been linked to IBS, I didn't do enough research to figure it out, but I would assume it's probably also linked to other gut issues. So again, we know that it is including, um, that it is doing things to your gut. Um, there's also side effects of liver damage, eyesight issues, joint and muscle pain, and even seizures. 
Um, so, and these are just pretty much due to the drug's impact on your liver. Um, so you have to have your liver enzymes monitored um, and not drink alcohol while you're on this because that can just further complicate your liver function. So you have to have liver enzymes monitored because it's um, so severely can affect your liver. Um, the most common side effect is severely dry skin, even including your lips. Um, and then nasal dryness can also be a major issue. So um, like I said, it does work to um, change your skin cells. So that's, um, can change them a little bit too far from the, you know, the oil production, um, drying that oil production out a little bit too much. But um, many people don't understand that Accutane was actually originally introduced as a cancer drug. It literally was a chemotherapy drug. So I don't think anyone has to be told like what kind of damage can be done to our bodies and our otherwise healthy cells when we subject them to chemotherapy. So, um, you know, is it necessary in some cases? Of course. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't drugs that are necessary and helpful to us. And Accutane may be one of those. I don't know. Um, but I think if you're seriously considering Accutane or, or another drug that's similar to this um, to clear up your your teenager's acne, I would urge you to first try and treat the acne by getting to the root of the issue. You know, they don't have an Accutane deficiency. Um, there's other things going on, and we've just talked about what those things are. Um, and some of them are just part of the teenage condition. It's just part of growing up. It's part of puberty. But we can help influence that and help influence how um, those things are manifesting when we are armed with the proper knowledge. And so with food, proper cleansing, management of our hormones, we can vastly affect our skin and the production of the acne. So I say give it three weeks, you know, do, um, do this for three weeks, cut out the dairy, cut out the grains, cut out the sugar. I know it's tough with a teenager. I trust me, I get it. It's near impossible. But 21 days, three weeks, see if that change won't make a vast difference. And then you're not going to have any lasting side effects other than good ones. Because who knows, after 21 days, maybe your teenager is going to realize that they don't need the sugar, they don't need the grains, they don't need the, uh, the ice cream, the milk. And that can't do anything but help anyway. So um, give that a try. Um, also some quick tips for helping with acne, uh, helping to combat the overproduction of oil and helping to balance your hormones is hydration. Um, stay hydrated. You know, have your teenager. Teenagers are notorious for not drinking enough water. So really stay on them to be sipping water throughout the day. Now, not they don't need to carry around a gallon of water and they don't need to, you know, down, you know, 16 ounces with every meal, nothing like that. Just sip water throughout the day. It's always best to sip. You don't want to have all of that water in your stomach at once anyway. It, de it depletes your um, hydrochloric acid and you don't want that. It can lead to other issues. So um, sip water. Also, keto diet is amazing. Higher fat diet like keto has been shown um, that the higher levels of saturated fat can alleviate skin issues because our skin is mostly saturated fat. So if we're eating high quality saturated fat, those are huge for skin issues and helping us to, um, to be able to mitigate some of the issues that we're dealing with with our skin. Like I said, when I switched over to a keto lifestyle, my skin just has been amazing. And I mean, when I went paleo, it helped a lot because I cut out grains and a lot of sugars, but was still eating 
you know, natural sugars like honey and maple syrup and those types of things. But going ketogenic, cutting those carbs even lower and upping my fats, my healthy fats has just made the world a difference in my skin. Um, so let me sum up the acne information for you. So what, this is what we should avoid to help eliminate the acne. Okay. The top five things to cut out sugar, number one, milk, number two, and possibly all dairy products, but milk is the number one offender. Number three, grains, specifically anything that contains gluten. Number four, don't use harsh chemicals to treat your skin or cleanse your skin. You want to maintain the pH as much as possible. And number five, we didn't really talk about this a lot, but again, poor teenagers, they are inundated with stress. Number five, try to avoid the stress. Okay. Um, just try, try to help teach them some coping mechanisms for dealing with stress. And again, I know teenagers aren't always up for listening to us talk about that, but yoga, deep breathing techniques, meditation techniques, grounding, um, deep breathing exercises, uh, reading, uh, naps. These are all great ways to deal with stress. Um, so the top five things to concentrate on, my number one thing is wash face with a gentle cleanser twice a day. Use a pH toner after washing. And like I said, you can use apple cider vinegar if you'd like. It is acidic, and after washing, your face is alkaline. So this will help to correct the pH back to about a 5.5. And remember, our skin needs to stay slightly acidic to maintain a proper microbiome balance, and that will help with keeping pores clean and oil production in the proper levels. Number two, eat a diet full of healthy saturated fats read keto. <laughs> um, you need healthy saturated fats to help balance out not only your hormones, but consequently your oil production. If you're eating a low fat diet, then your hormones will be off and you will have raised oil production, period, end of story. Number three, get sleep. You need more sleep, especially teenagers. They do not get enough sleep. Reduced sleep can cause a huge impact on stress levels. Stress increases glucocorticoid production, which can lead to abnormalities in your skin structure and function. Um, so you you just it, that will make acne conditions worse, any kind of skin condition worse. But the um, the up upping your skin production is just not a good thing. Um, number four, drink lots of water. We talked about that. Hydration is super important. And number five, make sure you're getting proper vitamins and minerals through your diet and lifestyle. So make sure you're eating lots of vegetables, especially special leaf, especially leafy greens, proper fruits, properly raised animal products, and getting proper amounts of sun for vitamin D production. So I guess that um, pretty much wraps up all I have to say on the acne thing. I know it's a tough time. I know it's tough on your teenagers. Um, so let's just do the best we can to help them out. And you know what? Hey, at the end of the day, we're all just trying to do the best we can. So I don't say any of this to guilt anybody or make anybody feel like, you know, how are they going to overcome this? I say this to hopefully empower you and um, help give you some alternative ways that you can try and make a, a, an influence um, on your teens and, um, and trying just to help them out and, and show them how how just a healthier uh, lifestyle is really going to help them not only now and with the issues they're dealing with, but that that's something, a foundation you're building that they'll fall back on in their adult years. Wow. It sounds like, well, we can really help those uh, teenagers out struggling with acne. And thank you for giving all that great advice. So uh, I remember you and I talked earlier that you also said you had an email that you wanted to uh, talk about that's 
could pretty much address some uh, things that are pretty indicative of what you keep seeing here often uh, with your clients. I know this is podcast is running long, so I'm going to try and run through this really quickly. But I wanted to read this. Um, number one, the uh, the sender gave me permission to read it, um, to address this on the podcast. And I thought it was, um, it was, it's very kind of indicative of many of the emails that I get every week, nearly every day. Um, and I just thought it would be a good one to dissect and kind of... Um, just talk a little bit about it because I think a lot of you will resonate with a lot of what this gentleman says and um, kind of how, or or woman actually, I'm not 100% sure if this is a girl or a boy, but, um, and, and kind of how that, oh, actually it is a man. I'm sorry. This one, this one is. Okay. So this is from uh, BJ and he says, hi, Jessica, I found your podcast just a couple of weeks ago. I have enjoyed it so far. I live just across the river and would enjoy talking to you, but maybe my situation is better for a caller question podcast. Um, 43, I've carried 30-ish extra pounds most of my adulthood. I've yo-yoed several times and never really understanding food and what my body needs. Last summer, I started the zero belly diet after reading the book. I got great results. My wife, regardless of already being thin, jumped on board in January of this year. She saw benefits with her energy, sleep, etc. I've been stalled at my current weight for over six months. I know the number on the scale isn't everything, but it is still something. Without question, I have another 10 to 15 to lose around my stomach. I started keto a month ago. Of course, I've had some cheat days, but this is as strict as I've ever been. I was hoping to get a quick start. Um, I was hoping to get a quick start like so many other stories, but it just hasn't happened. Thinking maybe my macros were off, I began tracking them a week ago. I was a little lopsided, but carbs were in check. I've read and listened to a lot over the past month. Seems like I should be keto adapted by now, but maybe not. Having lost a significant portion of the weight prior to going keto, could that be the reason for my slow start? Appreciate your time. Uh, appreciate your time to have even read this. Hope to hear from you or something through an upcoming episode. Keep up the good work. Thanks, BJ. Thank you so much, BJ, for sending that in. Thank you for your honesty and for letting me be able to talk about this. So I want to point out a few things. There are a few things I don't know um, that he doesn't talk about specifically in this email. But one of the things I think we can all relate to is he says, last summer I started the zero belly diet after reading the book. Okay. Um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the zero, zero belly diet. Um, I am not uh, entirely familiar with it, but I know enough about it to know that um, some of the things that they recommend, first of all, are um, the diet includes a lot of fruit smoothies. Um, so very high in carbohydrates and sugar. Um, they also include, um, I read a, first of all, it's a very low fat as well. They, um, it's a very low fat diet, pretty much. Um, it's to me, it's like any other fad diet out there. They're packaging it. It's still the pretty much the standard American diet. However, they're cutting out processed food and packaging it as this new diet. And this one specifically, they're calling the zero belly diet, which makes you think, okay, great. I'm going to have zero belly if I'll just eat this way. And I am certain for many people, just like BJ, they go on a diet like this, especially uh, coming from more of a processed food diet. 
um, or um, you know, your standard American diet, you most certainly will see weight loss. There's no doubt about it. Um, processed foods are horrible for us. They cause all kinds of issues, um, not to mention like sodas and things like that. So this diet does not um, endorse those types of things. So just cutting those things out, call it whatever diet you want to call it, but just cutting those things out are going to help. Um, however, some of the things that I'm seeing on the zero belly diet, um, are like, they are against, like they call some of the suspect foods, like they had a summer to avoid, uh, summer foods to avoid list. Pulled pork was on there. Pulled pork's awesome. There is no reason you shouldn't eat pulled pork. <laughs> like that is a, a highly nutrient dense food, lots of good fats in there. Um, ranch dressing. Now, if it's ranch dressing made with rancid seed oils, Absolutely. But if you're eating ranch dressing from like Primal Kitchen with avocado oil as the base, um, that's amazing. Like absolutely eat ranch dressing. Um, coleslaw, mayos and mayo and cabbage. Again, if you're eating coleslaw that's made with seed oils, then you don't want that. But if you're eating cabbage that's seasoned and, and tossed in some really good mayo with some good fat, avocado fat, like Primal Kitchen, that's a great option to eat. Ribs, they say ribs is a bad, that a great source of healthy fats, um, protein, that's great. Very low in sugar. Um, a caprese salad, they say avoid that. Oh my gosh, like I couldn't disagree more. I would tell people to eat caprese salad all day long. That's tomato, mozzarella, basil, a little bit of balsamic vinegar if you want. However, you're going to have to watch the carb count on that. But I like to drizzle mine with MCT oil or um, olive oil and sprinkle with salt and pepper. It's amazing. That is amazing nutrients, vitamins, minerals, um, healthy fat it's a great way. It's a great salad. So, um, chili, they also said cut chili out. Like what? Chili's awesome. Like <laughs> now I don't make my chili with beans because we avoid, um, the beans, the, the carbs that are in the beans, the, the, um, phytonutrients, but it totally would be all over the, um, chili. That's a great thing to do. So one of the things that they do recommend and they do say that it was a good thing to do on this diet is, um, they recommend the smoothies, like I said, but then they say, don't eat, don't drink sangria, don't drink lemonade or fruit punch. Well, basically your fruit smoothie is the same thing. Your, yes, if you're having a fruit smoothie, at least you're getting the fiber, um, the soluble and insoluble fiber in the smoothie. But the one that I saw them make, for instance, was apple, banana, some almond milk, and some, um, I don't remember what protein they source they used, if it was a whey protein or, or what it was. But anyway, um, very sugary, um, huge carb count, huge sugar load in that. So, so number one, um, I definitely think that that is not, um, something that you should be on. It's way too way. I mean, that is spiking insulin all day long. Blood sugar is going through the roof. Insulin uh, is releasing and you're trying to pull that back down. Um, he also says he stalled at his current weight for over six months. Um, so yes, if you're still doing that diet, I would not be surprised. You're only going to go so far and then you're not going to be able to lose anymore because you, um, you know, you, you're, you have this metabolic dysfunction going on with all of the glucose and carbohydrates that you're bringing in. So he says, without question, I have another 10 to 15 pounds to lose around my stomach. I started keto a month ago. Of course, I've had some cheat days, but this is as strict as I've ever been. So first of all, um, 
I want to address his mindset. So to me with keto, it is not a strict way of eating. It is not a strict lifestyle. Um, bacon, butter, meats, animal products, cheese, eggs. I mean, that's not strict. The only thing you're doing is you are lowering your carbs. Um, and I don't even think you're being strict with your carbs. You're just lowering the amount of sugar that you're bringing in. You're, you're monitoring how much blood glucose you're allowing to happen, how much, um, how much you're allowing your insulin levels to continue to spike or your insulin to stay high. Um, I don't really consider that strict. And I, I think that this, I've heard before from people that, you know, keto, um, a lot of dietitians, people in the medical field that don't understand it or maybe do, and just for whatever reason, continue to subscribe to the rhetoric um, that we have just been inundated with, with this low fat, high carb, um, that it's not sustainable. I don't, I can't think of an, anything that is more sustainable. Um, it's amazing. You're just eating real food. Like that's it. Like that is pretty much sums it up. You're eating real food. Um, you're making sure that you get lots of high quality fats and things that taste good and fuel your body, good protein sources, um, and you're just limiting the carbohydrates, which if you're not eating the things that really don't do your body good anyway, which are the grains and those types of things, you're really cutting out the carbohydrates anyway. I mean, grains and starches, you have, there is zero nutritional value to any of those for your body. You do not need them. None of them are essential. So you're really just cutting those out. Um, and I, I just see that as being a very sustainable thing. And, and really, for a lot of people, you can put some of those things back in and do some of what people call carb refeeds or carb, lo carb loading here and there. So you don't even have to be like an all or nothing thing. One of the things that stands out to me is he says that I was hoping to get a quick start, but it just hasn't happened. Um, he knows that he is a little lopsided in his macros. Um, he's been doing it for about a month and he has been cheating, but he thinks he should be keto adapted by now. So I would say no. Um, when you start a ketogenic way of eating, if you want to get into ketosis there in the first month, there is no cheating. If you cheat, so to speak, and you keep your carbs high or you, um, have, you take weekends off and, and just eat what you want on the weekends and then try to be keto during the week, you are not going to get into ketosis. You will, you, well, you may, I, I, let me restate that. You may get into ketosis for a short period of time, but you will absolutely not be keto adapted. Um, you need a good solid month, I would say, um, sometimes more depends on how metabolically broken you are, um, how much, um, you know, you've kind of abused your, um, your insulin essentially and, and your hormones over the years as to how long it's going to take you to become keto adapted. But typically, um, four weeks, I'd say four to six weeks. Um, so until you can do that for four to six weeks consistently and, um, you know, and if you want to track or not track, there's some people have such, um, have such, uh, strong opinions about that either way. I tell people, listen, if you need to track and that helps you figure out what your macros look like and how you need to eat what best serves you, then track. If you know that tracking your food is going to create um, some kind of, you know, issue with you or you're going to end up with, you know, some just not, um, 
just focusing too much on your food and what you're eating and becoming obsessed about it, then don't track. Um, just, you know, kind of even just keeping a food journal can help you. Um, if you just keep a food journal and kind of look at what you're eating, look at where you may be off and test. You need to test for ketones. You're not going to know if you are or aren't. And the, um, the urine strips are not going to last. They won't work after about six weeks. Um, the only reason they work in the beginning is <clears throat> you, when you're a carb burner, you are running on glucose. So when you start, um, beginning to run on ketones, your body does not yet have the enzymatic processes to be able to produce or to use those ketones properly. So you spill ketones over into your urine. And that is the only reason it even picks it up. So once you actually become keto adapted, you're not even going to pick those up anymore. So you could test with those and think that you're not keto adapted and you are. Um, so you need to do breath or blood. Um, highly recommend Jemmy's um, Keto Mojo um, blood glucose meter. I will link to that in the show notes as well. Um, I've been using that. I love that super easy product to use. It's amazing. Very affordable. The strips are affordable. Um, I also have a ketonics breath analyzer. You can use that as well. Um, but definitely would say I, I would, I would not be surprised that you're not keto adapted after only a month. And after, as you say, um, you know, not being, that strict. You said you've had some cheat days. Um, those cheat days will completely throw you off um, until your your body has been able to change those enzymatic processes. So definitely um, try to go at it a little bit harder if that's really what you want to go for, and um, and you will start to see that. I definitely think that's where the weight loss for you is coming in as well. Um, you're just not doing it long enough to start seeing. Um, a good start. Like your, you, BJ says, the, it, could this be the reason for a slow start is that he lost a significant amount of, of weight prior to going keto? So I would say that while I don't believe that that is um, the only reason that your um, weight loss has slowed, um, I think that probably has more to do with the cheat days that you said you're, you're looking at. Um, in addition to, I don't know what your protein intake is. I know you said that your macros were off, that you were checking them about a week ago, that they're a little lopsided, but that your carbs were in check. So um, I don't know what your protein looks like, and I don't know what your fat looks like. Um, I also don't know what the sources are that you're getting those from. So that can make a huge impact. Um, being keto, in my opinion, um, keto uh, lifestyle, just eating that way, that way of eating is also um, largely dependent on the quality of the food that you're eating. Specifically, since you are eating so much animal product and fat, it's extremely important to keep that as a high quality um, high quality products, grass fed meats, um, wild caught fish, that type of thing. Um, so we, talking about the weight loss prior to going keto, I would not suspect that that is necessarily the reason for a slow start by itself, but that can have an effect um, somewhat just because the more weight you have to lose in the beginning, typically the faster um, you will have it come off. And then as you get closer to your set point, your body's homeostasis, you tend to slow down the weight loss a little bit. Um, that's just pretty normal for anyone. So um, I would say that um, you could have all of those factors kind of, um, kind of playing in there. So, um, so I hope that you don't feel like I'm picking on you, BJ. I'm not picking on you. Um, I, like I said, I really appreciate this email and I get emails just like it all the time. 
um, very similar stories, very similar questions. And um, I really think that um, um, that a lot of people will resonate with what you wrote and that hopefully me kind of going over some of these things will help other people um, kind of have an aha moment. Like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's what I'm doing. Um, or not doing, that might be affecting it for me. So just um, to kind of sum all this up, in general, I think we need to stop thinking about everything in terms of diet and, um, you know, what what am I, what diet am I going to do to lose weight or to um, be where I want to be in my weight or size I want to be or whatever, and all of these, you know, cheat days and all of this type of thing, um, and stop thinking in terms of being so restrictive, um, you know, and making food more than what it is. I think we need to look at food as food is nutrition for our body. It is it is what is going to build our cells, healthy or otherwise. Um, it is going to give us energy to do the things we want to do in our life. It's going to give us the health and vibrancy to, you know, be able to keep up with our kids and our grandkids and 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 do the things, you know, if we we if you are a person like myself that feels that, you know, everyone has a calling on their life and, and everyone has a bigger why than themselves, um, the nutrition is what is going to feed that, you know, feed your body, help build your body and make, um, make you be able to obtain, obtain those goals and, and your why in your life. Um, so I think we need to look at this more as a lifestyle and not worry about, you know, is something um, sustainable or not. Eat whole foods, eat real foods, search out the best quality food you can have, organic, the least amount of processed, um, animals raised the way they're supposed to be raised, as much as you can, and focus on those things. We, you need to focus on what does your body need to build proper cells and, and organ function, and, and those are higher fats. We need lots of saturated fat. We need lots of cholesterol. Um, we need to get away from these fears that we have from all the diet dogma that's out there. Um, and we just need to focus on um, on lots of, of vegetables, lots of colors of great vegetables, you know, staying away from the foods and food-like products that have no... Um, they, they don't feed our bodies in any way. They're not essential for us. They, they don't do us good. And you know what? If you go out and you have a weekend, um, you go out to dinner with your friends or your husband or your wife or whatever, and you want to have dessert, have the dessert, but just don't, don't, do that and then start thinking about, oh my gosh, I blew it. I blew my diet. And since I'm on this diet, I need to make sure I get back to it. Well, I already blew it for today. I might as well just throw the towel in for the whole weekend. And so I'm going to cheat all weekend long and then I'll get back on the horse on Monday. That is not sustainable. And you will continue to, uh, to roller coaster the rest of your life like that. Um, try to change your mindset on your diet and lifestyle. Look at it as a lifestyle. You're feeding your body, the nutrients you can get in. And if you want to have something, you're going to have something. And if it doesn't make you feel great and you decide, you know what, I'm not going to do that again, then great. Don't do that again. Don't get down on yourself. Don't feel like you cheated. Don't feel like you did something wrong. It's, it just is what it is. Um, so I, I definitely, um, just really want to get that point across and have people, um, understanding how the body works, what your body needs to fuel itself and to build all of those things, to keep all of the processes running as 
well as possible, um, keep disease away, um, you know, keep our bodies in that good place. And that will influence your lifestyle and the way you eat, how you handle stress, making sure you get enough sleep. You know, those types of things will naturally start falling in line. And in the case of BJ, um, my advice to you would be if you truly want to get in ketosis and that is how you want to do this, you want to be keto adapted. I have, you know, more power to you. I believe that that is an optimal way to, to eat. That's an optimal lifestyle. I do it myself and I feel amazing. Um, I think it is so good at staving off so many different diseases and illnesses that we are faced with today and that are epidemics. So I, you know, applaud you for looking into that. And I think it's great. But I do think that in the beginning, like I said, four to six weeks, you have got to be pretty strict. Um, no quote unquote cheat days. Um, get into it. You will change the way you feel and think about food anyway in that period of time. And um, I think you will find it much easier to adhere to this type of a lifestyle after you get through that first few weeks anyway. Okay, guys, so I have really gone long on this podcast. I am so sorry for the length of this. I hope that you all hung in there and stayed with me. Um, and I just hope that some of this was good information for you and helps you guys out. And please keep the questions coming. Um, I've got a bunch in the queue. I've got a bunch of uh, people lined up to interview. Um, looking forward to doing this and um, continuing to get you guys great information and that hopefully is very useful to you. Again, if you haven't already, please go on iTunes and review this podcast. Um, if you're enjoying what you hear, give me a five-star review. Let me know that you're enjoying it, and I would be so grateful. All right, guys. Well, I guess I'm going to get out of here and um, just have a great week, and I will see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. This episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast is brought to you by Peely Nuts. The Peely Nut is a rich, buttery tree nut wild harvested from deep in the Filipino rainforest. The taste is like no other in the world, often approximated as a combination between a macadamia nut and a cashew, but with a stronger, more tender flavor. You've heard about it on the podcast here. It is basically like the perfect keto snack, uh, rich, buttery flavor, uh, all the macros you want, and uh, very easy to uh, obtain. Just go to eatpeelynuts.com. And if you want 10% off of your order, just enter in the code Jessica Tai uh, before you check out. That's J E S S I C A T Y E. Go to www.eatpeelynuts. That's E A T P I L I N U T S dot com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed what we shared with you today and are looking forward to the next episode.